0: All right, and we are back for another edition of Exploring Faith: The Pursuing Grace. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass. And tonight, we are going to be discussing a very appropriate and timely topic with the holidays around the corner. This show is being recorded prior to Thanksgiving, but it will air on Thanksgiving. Christmas is around the corner, and this is a time of year that many, many people look forward to. It's one that I look forward to every year. Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday because there's no pretense you just eat food, hang out with your family and your friends and have fun, play games, all that. And then with Christmas there's the presents, there's the lights, there's all the good stuff. But for a lot of people, the holidays aren't as enjoyable as they are for me or for you, Kevin. I know you've mentioned you appreciate the holidays and you like them too. The holidays can be hard for a lot of folks. at the very least they can be bittersweet and for others it can be just absolute torment to think that there's another holiday around the corner because of grief. Grief is something that is a part of the human condition. It's something that we all deal with and that we will all face at some point in our lives. And dealing with loss, dealing with grief, dealing with the recovery from those things can be very difficult. And with that in mind, we have reached out to Joy Gartner, who is an advanced and certified loss and grief recovery specialist. She is the founder and director of Walking with Joy, which is not only a, um, I, I guess I would call it a ministry that helps people with recovering from grief and recovering from emotional pain and from loss and traversing those waters into a place of a greater degree of peace. She's been at this for more than 50 years. She has worked with churches and recovery facilities, parachurch organizations in the United States and also abroad. And since 2002, Joy has focused her attention to walk beh- beside singles and individuals that are coming out of substance abuse. She also helps people that grieve loss. She shares experience, strength, and hope in helping people find their own worth and how to build healthy relationships from the rubble that may exist within their own lives. So Joy, thank you so much for joining us and taking time out of your schedule to talk to a couple of yahoos from Oklahoma. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) Thanks for having me on here. That was a great introduction. I appreciate that so much.
0: Well, we appreciate you and we're really excited to have you on because this is something that while I personally have not dealt with grief around the holidays, grief and loss is something that that we all face. And I know Kevin has had a, a year this year. He's lost uh, grandparents this year. I lost my last remaining grandmother last year. And it, it can be difficult. It, it's really hard for a lot of people. And for a lot of people, especially those that suffer loss close to the holidays, or even if it's not close to the holidays, there are a lot of people that once mama dies or grandma dies or daddy dies or grandpa dies, they have a really hard time coping with the holidays that come around. Or if they have lost their spouse through divorce or perhaps they're estranged from their children, whatever loss that they face and whatever the flavor of grief is that they are dealing with, the holidays can be exceptionally difficult. So before we dive headlong into what we're going to discuss tonight in dealing with grief and loss and how people can do so in a way that that honors their grief and in a way that honors Christ, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you currently do.
1: Well, I thank you for this opportunity to share my story, and I feel like it's God's story within me Um So I grew up in a very loving Christian family, loved going to church, um, gave my life to uh, Jesus when I was just 12 years old, or I was baptized when I was seven and became a Christian then. And then at 12 at church camp, I remember giving my life to um, God for full-time Christian service and wanted to be a minister's wife. Um, that was back in the 60s. So, you know, as I look at that, it, that's as close as I could get to the ministry being a female in in that era. Um, and so as things would happen, I married my high school sweetheart who also wanted to be a minister. And so we went off to Bible college. We got married a year after we um, went to college and um, we have been in ministry for over 50 years, since uh, 1971, and have uh, had two wonderful children. Uh, you know, I was living the life that I wanted, and we had great churches. There were ups and downs in a couple churches, um, but as we all know, church is full of people, so <laughs> there, there are ups and downs and struggles, a lot of power struggles in the church that we I think we cover over. Then we went to Bible college, and so uh, we were 35 years married. And my husband uh, came in and said, "Um, I'd rather be divorced than married to you. And
2: oh, wow. Wow.
1: Totally blindsided me. Um, You know, we didn't have a perfect marriage, but I didn't realize that it was at that state. So, um i i just started praying started doing whatever i could and um went to counts started going to counseling i came from a background that uh counseling was looked down upon at that time and you know i remember going to the library at the at the bible college and at late at night because i was too ashamed to tell anybody you know we were I've learned since then that we are as sick as our secrets and I had a lot of secrets. And so I didn't want to tell anybody. We lived at a small Bible college. So, you know, it was very, the campus was small. So at midnight, one night, I went to the library and I remember going upstairs um, and reaching for uh, Richard Foster's spirit uh, celebration of disciplines. I think that's the name of it. Um, thinking that if I could just learn more how to pray better, how to fast, how to do more things that God would heal my marriage, because I thought this is, a, this is an honorable prayer that God heal my marriage, you know. So I was actually reaching up to the top shelf, five, you know, five shelves up for that book from Richard Foster, and a book literally on the third shelf fell off of the shelf and fell open at my feet and at the top it said are you going through a dark night of the soul and that word that phrase dark night of the soul would have been strange to me before uh, i realized my marriage was falling apart but i had started to do intense searching and seeking for god and that was coming these words were coming to me. So I said, yes, you know, I'll read that book. And then I started, I thought, what is this book about? (laughs) And so I changed, uh, closed the cover and it's it was called listening to God and it was about praying, but I had always been the one talking. Um, And this, this went, started me on a journey. And, you know, I, it's been 15 years since my divorce, um, and it's, it's taken me a long time to be able to say it's the divorce is the worst thing that's happened to me, and it's the best thing that's happened to me. i um, holding the tension between that. I used to be very black or white. It was either or. I remember telling my children, you know, this is a decision. It's either heaven or hell decision. No gray in the middle, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> It was all very black or very white until my world fell apart. And um, when the divorce happened, um, I lost my job uh, at the Bible college. I lost uh, oh, wow. my my home that I loved because it was tied into the package. And I, loved the com- I lost the community that I loved. And I really lost me because I didn't know who I was without being a minister's wife or a Bible college professor's wife. Um, I really lost everything but um, my children. Um, And they were grown, and I'm glad that they were out of the house. I don't know how parents do it when children are in the home because I was such a basket case. Um, I could hardly keep my my life together. And um, I ended up, my son's mother-in-law is, at that point, was a 13-year recovering addict who had the vision of opening up a halfway home for women in recovery. And so three hours before I was supposed to move in with a friend into her bedroom, a bedroom in her house. Um, Cause I'd put my name on the, the list at the YMCA uh, to have a room there, but it was a waiting list. So I didn't have any place to go, but um, she called me and she said, would you like to live in the halfway house and be a spiritual director? And having been in ministry all my life, I thought, yes, I want to be into ministry. And uh, so I thought, this is the ministry that God's calling me to. And so I began living in this halfway house. And I was such a mess, uh, so broken, because, you know, I had been on the other side of that when people left, you know, you just kind of erase them and you don't talk about them. And um, I know that students even called the college and asked where I was. And, and they were told, well, the Gartners have left. And, you know, it doesn't feel so good when you're on the margins. And yeah. so, And yet it was the best place for me to be. And I was given the opportunity by living in a 12-step community to be taught the spiritual 12 steps, which I would say saved my life, each one of those. I used to, I used to think that those 12 steps were for those people over there. <laughs> um, and then I found out, oh, my goodness, I am one of those people. And um, I, I love the 12 steps. I love my scriptures. And I love grief recovery. And all three of those came together together. Um, in the process of those 3 years when my husband was deciding to become my husband um when i was trying to be who he wanted me to be um i also lost my, my mother to death and um oh, wow. and i was diagnosed with cancer and so i was supposed to um, Are you
2: sure your your name's not Job? <laughs> <laughs> It's joy, right? Not Job. Okay. I just just wanted to make sure there.
1: (laughs) And I mentioned these losses because they are a lot and and it's not unusual for many people to go through a tornado wall of losses. And it's so much you can't even get your breath. And, and in the midst of this, with going to counseling um, with that, you know, when you, I had no, no dealings with counseling before, but when you go in, they always ask you, Well, will tell your, your story. And so, you know, my story was I was raised in a Christian home. I was abused when I was six by the minister of our home church. And I gave my life to God at seven. And I was became a full time servant at 12 and married my high school sweetheart. And, you know, and the counselor said, Wait a minute, wait a minute. What did you do about the abuse? Oh, well, that's a non event, you just move on. Because mm-hmm. once I told my mom and dad, it was never talked about again. And so that came up. So in these three years, everything from my life just bubbled up. Wow. And um, and so I was learning. And I would say this too. Um, I realized very early on that cancer was a gift to me. I mean, I went through the surgery. I went through the chemo the radiation all of those visits all the medicine and all of that all of the sickness that goes with it lost my hair which was traumatic for me because I thought if my husband doesn't love me with hair he's not surely gonna love me without hair and so you know it was just my mind was just all screwed up with that but cancer gave me a voice for my sadness and before that When people would ask me, "Well, Joy, you look like you've lost weight, or you're not as uh, happy as you used to be. What's wrong?" I would have that standard answer of, "I'm fine. I'm."
0: Yeah, the same answer everybody gives whenever you ask them. We don't. When someone asks you that, you don't want to give them the real answer. Well, how's it going? Well, let me tell you how it's going. (laughs) You know, when people ask, it's more of a formality. Right. it seems like you were definitely well acquainted with the concept of grief, with the concept of loss. My goodness, what a life. That's, Uh, that's
2: mind blowing. Yeah. Any, any one of those events are extremely difficult to go through. My mother, she was diagnosed with cancer just a couple of years ago and, Mm -hmm. um, that's, she's doing well. She's, she's going through treatment. She has leukemia, but she's doing really well with it. And, um, it was, she had, she actually was diagnosed in August of 2019. And then right after her first round of treatments, you know, during that time, uh, she couldn't go out. Uh, she, she was, uh, she had to be self quarantined. Um, and then right, literally the day she, the doctor said, okay, you know, now you can start going out more and we're not kind of her, uh, intensive therapy was over, but she was still going through chemo, but just not as intensive. And literally the week after, um, the day she was able to, to ring the bell, uh, COVID came and uh, she's like, Oh no, I could, you know, like I could finally go out and now I can't go out again. And, (laughs) and, uh, and then um, her, her mother, my grandmother, who we, we all love to death, just extremely close to, and she lived with my mom and dad and she passed away unexpectedly this past year. And so so it was, you know, just seeing my mom go through those, just those two events and, and not even, I won't even say back to back. I mean, you know, they, they, cause it, there was some time obviously between her diagnosis and that happening, but, um, I saw what that, how difficult that that's been on her. But when you're talking about your divorce, you're talking about cancer, you're talking about losing your job, your, your financial security, your community, yeah, your community, all, you know, all these different things. Um, it's, uh, I, I, honest to goodness. I, I don't, I I just want to, um, just, just tell you how encouraged I am already by hearing your story. Cause I had, I knew a little bit, uh, because I had, of course, researched you online and, uh, and and knew, you know, Lachelle had told me a little bit about you and everything, but, um, not knowing the depths of tragedies that you had to go through, um, especially at pretty short period of time together. And, Mm -hmm. um, so that that's what I think is so powerful about what you're doing. You're not someone who just says, well, I know of other people who've gone through some stuff, so maybe I can help.
0: Yeah, it's not <laughs> theoretical. Yeah, you have you're... real experience with it in addition to the education you have about it.
1: Exactly, and I feel like my experience through life and through these situations is much more validating and um, more effective than the, the certification and, and the education that I have with that.
2: I'm sure you, you probably are able to empathize with, with people too.
1: I am, and I also learned how to sit with people in pain. Um, instead of trying to fix them, the best thing that we can do is to listen. I mean, those three friends of Job's, when they were just listening, were doing good stuff. It's when they started talking, and that pattern <laughs> has continued for centuries. If just be quiet and listen, um, we can be of support and encouragement to people. But when we go to fixing, we get into trouble.
2: Well, Joy, let me ask you this, because most of us probably think we have a good understanding of grief and loss, and everyone has experienced some loss. It may not be the same loss, but everyone has experienced loss no matter how old they are um, or what stage of life they're in. But can you kind of unpack that for us in more detail? For example, when we talk about grief and loss, those can be loaded terms. So what exactly are we talking about?
1: Well, let's talk about what causes grief first, okay? And then we'll get into a couple definitions. Um, one good thing that's come out of COVID is that we have begun to hear the word grief tied to things other than death. And Lee, when you were talking in the introduction, you mentioned some things, but most people think that there's only one thing that causes grief and that is death. But there's actually 40... Uh, or more, I'd say more, Oh wow! Um, you know, you've taken one of those stress tests, and it has, you know, if you've done this, this and this, you get so many points for that. Those under those are, are, are the, the grief, the losses that cause grief. So if I were to ask you guys, um, what is a loss or a lifestyle change that you've or someone that you know, has experienced? What, what would you say? What are some of the things that come to your mind?
0: Uh, being laid off from a job would be yeah. one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the death of a loved one. Estrangement from family is another one. Um, uh, the loss of a friendship, maybe the erosion of a friendship or loss of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I experienced some of this whenever... I very first started my practice, I'm a chiropractor and whenever I, I've been in practice now for 11 years and it seems really weird to say that because it does not feel like it's been that long. <laughs> um, but whenever I very first started into practice, um, I do things a little differently in my office now, but initially I opened up a traditional practice, build insurance, et cetera. I don't build insurance now, I'm, I'm strictly cash, but um, at that time I hated it. And I was thinking about, I've spent all of this time and all of this money to get this education and now all of this other money to get this practice Mm -hmm. started. And I am hating what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Like, this is awful. I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. And so that feeling of having wasted so much time and so much money in which fortunately now I love what I do. I never dread a Monday, but At that time, that wasn't the case. At that time, you know, I I had put all of my eggs in this basket to go into this career. And now here I am going into this career and I'm in it and I hate it. So that's another thing that would that would come to mind. That was just, just I was coming to,
2: to visit you so much. That's all that was, Lee. Oh, no,
0: no. That happened long before. Once you started coming and seeing me, baby, <laughs> things got better. I was so happy.
2: <laughs> well, and, and just to, to go with what Lee's saying, I mean, you know, some of the things we've already discussed, um, I, I, of course, divorce. I've, I've gone through a divorce as well. Um, and uh, th- it's the worst thing I've ever experienced. Um, my sister died in a car wreck when she was 17 and I was 13. Mm-hmm. And I, I've told people multiple times. Um, my first wife, she, uh, she had an affair. She had, we went to, she had no desire to, uh, to, to salvage or try in the relationship. And, um, it was one of those things where I kind of knew, but I, I didn't want to know. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, it was, it was very difficult. And, uh, before that time I had never dealt with anxiety or panic and I started having panic attacks and all sorts of things. And, um, you know, I told someone, I said, I, as much as, as hard as it was when my sister died in a car wreck, I would rather go through that experience a hundred times than go through uh, another divorce once once. And, um, you know, I wasn't exaggerating either because that was just the worst pain that I had ever gone through. Um, but thankfully, just, just like you had discussed how you can look back (laughs) on things, um, and see God working through that. And, you know, I have personally grown a lot since then. And I look back and see, uh, how much of that has kind of helped me get where I'm at today? And uh, some of those trials, it's be, it's made me better, and ultimately it's it brought me to uh to my to my current wife, who is absolutely amazing, and who has shown me uh, more love than I deserve and could ever imagine. But you know, I look at that as definitely a, a huge loss. And also, we had a friend of ours. Just on the podcast as this airs, uh, just this past, the the last episode, actually, where we talked about withdrawing a fellowship or when someone is excommunicated or disfellowshipped. And um, he told his story of what all he lost. And he lost his father, his mother, his sisters, because they all withdrew fellowship when he started changing some doctrinal convictions. And uh, they believed that he was a false teacher and wrong in doing that. And so uh, he worked with his father as well as in a secular business. And he lost that. Uh, He he pretty much lost everything too. And so even just losing family through sometimes church discipline and uh, whether it should have been enacted or not, (laughs) when it is, uh, even if unjustly, those are still losses that uh, I don't think a lot of people think about.
1: Exactly, and and you add, you know, like um, abortion, infertility, those losses to, with that, yeah. you know, too for the family, and even, even if you have adopted children, and the family is is wonderful. Um, many people come to me because they they grieve that they couldn't have their own birth children. So there are hopes and expectations that we grieve. Um, I'm going to put one on here that you might not think about, but retirement is something that we can grieve. Okay. So I want you to consider the both and, um, because I bet you all know somebody that's retired that's back working again, right?
0: Yes. (laughs) Yep.
1: So there is something in that, that we don't like that we run from. All right. And we, we will run from pain. We will run from hurt. So let's just think, what can you lose in retirement? What are some of the things, if you retire, that you lose? Purpose. You can lose your purpose.
0: You can lose friends.
1: Friends. A lot of times your social connections are there. Yeah, Routine. Routine. Structure. You know, it's great to sleep in for a few weeks, but then after that you wake up and no purpose, no structure, and you feel lost. Mm. And many people will lose their identity because we uh, describe ourselves, introduce ourselves by what we do, not who we are. Mm. Yeah. Um, and in a divorce, that's what happened. All of a sudden, I wasn't a minister's wife or a Bible college professor's wife, and I didn't know who I was. And so things that are good can also have, have losses in them that we need to grieve. And just being aware of that, Helps me not to get blindsided by
2: that. Uh, yeah, I would have never thought of retirement as uh, being something that can cause grief, and that's that's very interesting. But that's so true because uh, I look at even my dad. Uh, my dad's a go getter. He he's up every morning. He was in the military. He still does push ups and sit ups every morning. And uh, you know, he's he's talked about uh, which he's been taking care of my mom uh, the past couple of years. But he talked about well, you know. once, once, you know, now that she's doing better, I may, I may start looking for another job or looking for looking for something to do. And uh, even though he's, he's retired, he's almost 75. But um, I'd never really had thought of that before, because that is something that you are losing, even though it's viewed as a positive thing, people are looking for that time in their life where they can retire, but then they end up losing a lot of things they didn't even realize they would lose. So very, very interesting. Very good point.
1: Yeah, uh, that will be true with like, um, moving as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and graduations, when our, our seniors graduate from high school or from college, that same uh, principle is true. And even when we, you know, graduate or we go from element, our kids go from elementary school into middle school, and then from middle school into high school, it's those changes. You know, they're not the top person, they're down on the bottom. So they've lost their identity and, and So we need to be aware of it. It's important to to be able to name these things and claim the damage that they're doing to us before we can actually tame them.
0: Well, Um, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: I just got to say, I learned that concept down at, um, there's a monastery. There are a lot of monasteries here in the United States and I would have never gone to one 15 uh, years ago, but my journey has opened up my world to realize that, there are so many places that God shows up. Yeah, that I was told not to go to, for fear sure I would become one of them. And it's uh, funny I, when I first, uh, because of being a minister's wife and a Bible college professor's wife in a certain de- non-denominational church. Every place I went, they asked where my husband was. And, you know, I was just not in a place to be able to share that. And so I started going to other churches. And the churches that really fed me and really loved on me were the places that I had been taught not to go to. And I'm sad about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember sitting in a circle um, in a Catholic church and I mentioned that. And the people in the circle started to snicker a little bit and they said, Well, our mom's told us never go to those Protestant churches. We'll <laughs> one <of them."> so,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's fun. when you start exposing yourself to different ideas and different people, you realize that uh, oftentimes that's where that's where our help comes comes from. It's it's not the big bad wolf that we were taught.
1: No, and, and it makes me sad because people in all in all denominations there are people who love god and instead of being afraid of one another if we could like recovery says look for your common denominators look where you're the same instead of where you're different and if we could unite that way i think this world would be a different place so
0: it would be incredible and one of the things that comes to mind at least to my mind while we're having this conversation about Perhaps those those triggers of grief that we wouldn't consider or that in in talking about kids there at the very end, whenever you're mentioning kids, whenever they're getting ready to graduate from high school, our oldest daughter will be 12 in January. I've got one more year and she's a teenager
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and all of my kids and I don't know why. For myself, getting older doesn't bother me. I started going bald when I was in my 20s. I didn't care. I just started shaving my head. You know, I I started getting a little gray in my beard. I don't care. It doesn't bother me at all. But my kids, whenever they each hit five years old, for whatever reason, that messed with me Mm -hmm. and it bothered me. It, It really got to me. It's like, I don't have a small child anymore. Like our youngest, he'll be six in March. And I never could put my finger on what that was, but I guess it was grief Mm -hmm. But just like you said, we don't think about grief in those terms. We don't think about grief. We commonly link grief to a major, major negative life event like divorce or death or something along those lines. And it's so easy to minimize those other facets or manifestations or causes of grief and not recognize it for what it is. And a lot of times we minimize it, we unintentionally downplay it, we dismiss it, or we ignore people's griefs or or our own grief or other people's grief. And a lot of times, and we were talking about this before we hit record, there were times where we would hear sermons talking about depression because grief can often lead to anxiety, Kevin, like what you were talking about, or it can lead to depression. And there were times where I had heard sermons preached that basically said, if you have issues with anxiety or depression, instead of addressing it in a healthy way, in a, in a way that honors God, in a way that honors that grief for what it is, it was stated that, well, you just don't have enough faith. You're, you're not being faithful enough. If you're dealing with depression, you need to pray more. And I'm not going to discount the fact that if you're depressed, praying more can be very, very helpful but my grandpa was fond of saying, if it's dry and there's a drought, pray for rain all you like, but dig a well while you do it.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> you know? well, and I
1: believe that God works through not only our prayers and our Bible reading and our fasting in those spiritual disciplines, but God works through other people mm-hmm. and through other methods. And I mean, I believe that God's working through work through my chemo to to kill the cancer in my body. And so. To be more open to that god is god uses everything yeah and not to count yeah. that
2: and community well, you know that's that's and, such a a, yeah. a big thing to just learn I, I've, I've learned more about god by learning more about people and that has helped me to have a better understanding and then when i am reading something in scripture I, oh <laughs> now now i can see that a little bit uh, better maybe a little clearer than I than I did before. And you know I wanted to bring this up because I wanted to get your perspective on this. I think for a lot of people, uh, and maybe this is more so with with men I don't know. Um, but the idea that it's it's easy to unintentionally, perhaps even intentionally downplay or dismiss or even ignore. Your own grief, or maybe even somebody else's grief. Uh, it's this idea: well, just get over it. Um, and and if that's the way you're taught to view somebody else's grief, then that may be the way you try to relate to your own grief. That well, you just need to say a prayer, read your Bible maybe a little bit more, and just move on. Just just take a little dirt, rub that dirt in it, and just move on. And so I, I was wondering if, because I'm sure you have you have counseled a lot of people, but in what ways do do you see that sometimes manifested when someone is downplaying or maybe even denying their own grief or the grief of others?
1: Well, I think the two of you are saying the same things. Um, Lee, you use the word minim- minimize and to compare, and you were using dismiss. And in grief recovery, we talk about why we get stuck in our grief. And one of the first things we talk about is something that we would call a myth something that we've been taught that sounds good and may have some truth to it, but it does not work. And one would be, you know, just be strong, just move on. Don't think about it. Certainly don't talk about it because what would the neighbors think if they knew all this was going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, and another myth I think that I, I was taught, well, just be grateful is as if being grateful, erased the pain. Mm -hmm. And what I'm inviting people to do, again, that both and, I want to be grateful, and gratitude is huge, and my pain is real. And so to honor both of them, to hold that, and comparison never, ever is helpful, never helpful. When we compare, and there's a poem that I heard growing up, and I cannot find it, but it's something about if you if you don't have a hand be grateful because that man over there doesn't have an arm or if you don't have a foot be grateful because that man over there doesn't have a leg we're both the man who doesn't have an arm and a leg or, or a leg both are suffering both mm-hmm. have experienced loss both are grieving And that's another grief. You know, when you have surgery and, and, um, you know, our vets especially going through a lot of amputees, when we lose part of our bodies, that is a huge grief, a huge loss. And so when we compare, we we just minimize really our own, we erase it. And um, it's not an honest look at what life really is because I do have this and I also have this pain. And that person over there has both of those two. And so when we dismiss it, we get stuck. So you were asking about uh, definitions for, for grief. Um, we kind of talked about what causes it. So a, a good definition for grief is it's the normal and natural response to the end of something or the change of a familiar behavior okay so a job when you change jobs and you go on to another that's a change um when someone dies that's the end so either way <laughs> we have grief and i happened to be out in um los angeles about four years ago and maybe you remember the story of the orca whale that gave birth to that um, a stillborn baby yeah. and for 17 days she had that little baby on her nose, bringing it up to the air. Or, yeah, up to the air and then letting it flow down to the bottom of the, you know, down to the water. She'd go down. She'd bring it up. Seventeen days she did that. And I was out on one of those whale watching trips and, and the naturalist said she was grieving her baby. And I thought, of course she was, you know. Nature knows how to do this. That's, that example also taught me why 17 days? You know, people want, I want to know, you know, three days in a funeral and then it's <laughs> over with, right? Or six weeks or so in the church, well intentioned, well intentioned. But I call it the three C's. We give them a call, we send them, we take them a casserole, and then we send them a card. And six weeks later, is when we see them and they're sad, we're said, Aren't you over that yet?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, when- it
1: goes on, but mine stopped.
2: When my sister died, I was in eighth grade and, um, the principal, she actually, the assistant principal, she attended the church that I attended, um, at the time. And so she told my parents, just take all the time you need. Let, let Kevin doesn't have to worry about coming back anytime soon. Just, just whatever. So I took about a week off, I believe. And, um, when I went back to school, someone came up to me and they're like, where have you been? And I said, Well, my sister died. And they said, Yeah, but that was like two weeks ago. And (laughs) that really made me mad. (laughs) But I, you know, I got to thinking, like, but he doesn't understand because to him, especially in eighth grade, that two weeks is like forever, right? I mean, that was like, well, why why are, why, are you still doing something that or, you know, why are you still basing your life on something that happened two weeks ago, man? That's so long ago. And but I do. Th- yes. When, when you say that, because I don't think it's just eighth graders who do that, as you pointed out, it is this when someone dies, especially usually a big life event like that that you're talking about with death or, or, or something like that you do tend to have a lot of people join together and, and that's a great thing. But then as you pointed out, a few months goes by even sometimes a few weeks and their life is still the same. They've moved on, but you're still where you you're still where you were that two weeks ago or two months ago or three months ago, your life has changed. It's not the same, just like everybody else's. And, um, just to keep that in mind and to remember that is so important. And I love your, your simplification of the definition of grief, because that's easy to remember (laughs) that anytime there's a loss or anytime there's this new beginning that there's a natural process going on and it may manifest itself in different ways. But that's all grief is. It's not a bad thing. It's and, and it's it's we've almost made it a weakness. We've made it a taboo subject to talk about.
1: Grief is the is the least thing talked about. Now it's a little different now with COVID. I think that's a good thing, but we can talk about death, but grief is that uh, we don't even know. We can't even we can't define it or we can't we, we just don't know what it is so we just don't talk about it. In fact, I have one one client that said We just didn't do grief in my house. It just didn't exist. You know, it's just like you don't you don't recognize it. And you talk about that eighth grader. You know, most parents want to protect their children. But in protecting our children so much, we can inadvertently pass on to them the same misinformation that we were given. Mm -hmm. You know, I grieved when I first started out just because the way my mom and dad, you know, you don't talk about it. You move on. You power up you know, be a man. Um, And and I always say, I always say to uh, men, I am so sorry that you were told big boys don't cry because our society teaches our young men and our big men, our tall men, not to cry. And so we've taught our men to stuff it down. And so unresolved grief can come out sideways. And it can come out in anger and a certain amount of anger is acceptable for a man, but it can harden into uh, abuse and violence as well. If we, so, don't, we don't take that. And, and let me just say the girls, we women don't get a pass either because we're told just put your big girl panties on and just mm-hmm. move on. I mean, anything to get away from the pain, but we have to touch the pain and grief recovery. We have to know where we start and we have to realize the damage that it's done to us before we can move on. If we just, um, if you remember the Amish children that were shot several years ago, and do you remember that when a shooter came into the school up north in the Amish, um, I think it was Pennsylvania. Do you remember that?
0: I briefly. I remember hearing about it. I, I don't remember a lot about it. I do remember that it did happen though.
1: Okay. So that night, the elders of the the church and uh, the Amish do spend a lot of time on forgiveness, but that night they came out and said, we forgive the shooter. And all of the parents were standing right behind them. Uh, for me, that's cheap forgiveness, just like cheap grace, because until you process when something happens, uh, traumatically like that, or any kind of the any of the losses that we talked about, it's we go into shock. Yeah, just yeah. like you we're in a car accident, your your physical shock, we go into emotional shock. And so um, one of the moms later came out and said, I just I don't forgive, because she hadn't been able to process mm-hmm. that.
2: Yeah, there's that expectation that oh well, this is just the answer you need to give, or this is this is what you need to say if someone asks you, and this is how. And and, and in doing that, yeah, there's this that just that denial of that. Right, Lee. I think you had a question too, didn't you? Oh,
1: he's on mute right now, though.
0: I had my microphone muted and had no idea, but I guess it worked out just fine. Now, just a moment ago, though, you had made the statement, Joy, that that men are taught, you know, boys don't cry and you take those feelings, you stuff them down and later it can come out as anger. And whenever grief is something that is not allowed to be dealt with, it's not something that is allowed to move towards a healthy resolution. It's not something that's embraced. That, Coming out as anger, whenever it's not allowed to process, can lead to a loop. And I'm by no means an expert on it. We talked a little bit about it when I had clinical psychology because there are some pain syndromes that can manifest themselves whenever someone has dealt with emotional trauma. And that's something that we needed to be aware of. But that's something that comes to mind whenever I think about the effects of holding on to grief and not being allowed to process that grief. You had mentioned the anger that some men can deal with and experience. There may be a measure of distrust depending on what the source of that grief is. And for some people, it can manifest itself as a pain syndrome or something else. What are some other negative effects that people might experience whenever they don't deal or they haven't dealt with their grief or their loss? What are, what are some other ways that that can manifest itself?
1: So let me give you um, some descriptions of what grief looks like. Okay. It can be anger. It can be altered eating habit. It can be overeating, comfort eating, or it can be eating not eating at all. Um, isolation is huge. What grief comes out. Um, addiction fear, anxiety, depression, not being able to sleep. A lot of people wake up at that two or three o'clock in the morning, just wide awake. Okay. can be physical pain as a chiropractor. I bet you see uh, stress is another way it comes out. Yes. We hold our shoulders up. You know, I, whenever I, I do a lot of self care in, in grief recovery, and we notice where our shoulders are and to be able to relax them because you, you know, our whole bodies are just like this and our guts are, are messed up, you know, all of that. Um, and then what happens if and you might experience all of those. Uh, and as long as you're going through them, you know, grief is a roller coaster. So it can be one day you're fine and one day you're down in the dumps. Um, I, I always invite people to look at their grief uh, journey as a bungee jump. Now, have either one of you ever done a bungee jump?
2: No, absolutely not.
0: I've always <laughs> wanted to go skydiving, but I haven't ever gone bungee jumping, but that's also on the bucket list.
2: I don't even, you know, yeah, no, no.
0: Kevin, we're going bungee jumping, baby. No, we're doing no. it. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> At least you know what it is. And like that. When you first hear about that loss, it's like that first jump off and you go down as far as you'll go and you stay down as long as you stay. Then you come back up. But then you do, you go back down and it feels like it's as far, but it's never going to be as far as that first time. And if we can chart that, that helps me to see I'm making some progress when I'm going up and down like that. Um, But if we don't process through these, then those things that I just mentioned can turn into what I would call a disguised grief. And it can come from grief, not just that happened six weeks ago it can be six years ago or it can be 60 years ago. I've had people that come to me and they say I never grieved my dad. I didn't have time I had kids of my own or I was little and everybody said just don't think about it, don't talk about it and and now at 60 50 and 60 this is coming out and so that those disguised griefs can be people who are bitter and miserable. Mm-hmm. So if you know somebody that's just miserable, that might be the tip of the iceberg that underneath there is some kind of hurt, that they're they are they're just mad. They've just been simmering all their life, and they're taking it out. They blame people. disguise griefs are cynical people, sarcastic people, have a lot of regrets, a lot of resentments. They hold grudges. Uh, th- that one not surprise people, but you know, hmm. The grudge is, I'm here, so I don't have to feel. But often, not always, but often, someplace they were hurt and they didn't get to process that. And it can even develop into self-hate and a lot of guilt. And when we live in that guilt and that shame, I mean, it does damage to us and it does damage to those around us.
0: Well, it's so interesting that you say it can manifest itself as a grudge. And that's not something that you would really think about just off the top of your head. It's not something that you would expect to be a manifestation of grief. But if you think about it, it really kind of makes sense because if someone has wronged me or has caused me harm to the point where I am grieving what has taken place, because usually if you hold a grudge against somebody, it's because there was a certain level of trust that was broken or something happened that caused harm to you at the hands of someone else. And instead of, excuse me, instead of maybe taking responsibility for the part that I may have had in that, or processing and going through the hard work of dealing with that grief, it's so much easier for me to scapegoat somebody and hold a grudge against them instead of doing what I may need to do to process that in a healthy way. That's really interesting. And that's not something that I would have considered could be a manifestation of grief. That's a real surprise.
1: And, and it's it's a control issue, but it gives me some makes me feel like I have power. And it's interesting, you talked about taking responsibility. That's one of the actions. Grief recovery is a process. It's not a one and done. When you take the grief recovery workshop, um, you are learning a process. And that process works on every single one of those losses that we talked about. Every single one. It can, I work my grief recovery on everything. And, and you might be surprised, you know, um, you, you work it on one thing and you think you're done, but 10 years later, something happens. So this year, um, 2021, I woke up January 1st and thought, oh, wow, this could be a difficult year. Had I been stayed married, I would have celebrated a 50th wedding anniversary this year. Oh. And, you know, I, I processed the divorce many years ago and I'm okay with that. It doesn't cause pain in my life. Uh, and let me say this, there is sadness in my life. Um, When we lose something, the sadness shows how much we loved and how much we treasure. And, And so we can use that as another way of loving and of being in relationship. But the pain does not have to be there. We can get rid of the pain. So I thought, oh, What am I going to do? So I worked my grief recovery process of not being able to have family together, not being able to have a celebration. And so, you know, even under one, like a divorce, you have all of these other things that are tangled around it that are losses. But we think if we work through the divorce, we're good to go. But things keep coming back and just like a death. And this is why the holidays are hard. Okay. It's been a while since somebody died, maybe several years, but the holidays, I'm dreading. And it's because with the holidays, I have memories of times past that were good, that I loved, and now I don't have them, or I don't have the person in my life. And so it's a grief. It's a it's a whole other thing that I need to process through.
2: Well, that's, that's something that, you, talking about your divorce, um, people can be cold without realizing it, I think. And they they don't mean any harm, but it, it is harmful and hurtful. Um, with being a minister, when I went through my divorce, especially in the churches of Christ in a very conservative environment, we believed, of course, that adultery was the only exception to be able to divorce and remarry. And so, I, when everything happened, the uh, elders were there, and of course, our our situation was pretty well known. Um, what had what had been going on. And so by the time everything kind of came out, every, a lot of people already knew like by that time kind of, and, and one of the the elders, they're like, well, we're going to get up here and announce, you know, just so everybody's clear that there was, you know, there was adultery and this is a scriptural divorce. And, and people would just ask me like, oh, well, it was scriptural. She committed adultery. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, good, good. Okay. Everything's okay then. <laughs> and, you know, it was like, like, all right, you're 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 good. You're good. It's scriptural. <laughs> and, and, like, and no, no, it's not. <laughs> and, What's you know, wrong with you? <laughs> and, and, and and there was there was nothing. Yeah, it's like, well, just just because, you know, there, there I believe I had justified, you know, this was a justified re- reason doesn't mean that um, this is not difficult, that this is not hard, that there was not hurt and betrayal and all these other things. Um, that that went on and, uh, you know, kind of just constantly questioning yourself. And especially when you have kind of allowed yourself to be deceived, you start to wonder, well, who else is this? <laughs> like, what else am I missing here? And and your whole world's turned around. But people can just get right to that. Oh, well, well, you know, the way I'm looking at it is it's all good. You should just move on. Well, you know what, Joy, sure, it's your 50th, but y'all, y'all have been divorced 15 years. I don't even know why you're thinking about that. You know, and and people can say these things and believe these things. And they I really do think that they probably don't mean any harm by it, but it can be extremely harmful and hurtful. And with you talking about the anniversary, I wanted to ask you this question because I think grief and loss are difficult at any time. I mean, no, I don't know if anybody's going to argue against that, but why does it seem that, that things can be worse during, uh, anniversaries or specifically, since we're in this episode talking about Thanksgiving holidays and, and just all the holidays coming up with Christmas and, and, and just everything that that brings, why do, why is it, um, more difficult or why can't it be worse during the holidays? I know for my, for my mom and dad, um, you know, my sister has, has been dead now for over 22 years and yet that's still something that it's very difficult, especially for my dad around the holidays. And so it's not just a a one and done because we were actually told that someone, a minister, once again, well-intended, but someone who didn't have the proper training, Told my family, well, the first year is going to be hard around the holidays, but once you get that first year out of the way, everything's going to be better. And I remember the second year rolled rolled around, and my dad was having just as much difficulty, and and the third year, and the fourth year, and even today, uh, it's it still can be a very difficult time. And so, why is that? Uh, what what is the? Are there specific reasons why that's the case?
1: For me, I think it's the hope. Hope and expectation that we have around, you know, we think of holidays as family and when family's not there or important people of our family is not there, then it's just like a gaping hole. It's like you, you know, you just got slashed again and, and reopened that wound. Um, we we believe society, all of the commercials on TV that you know everybody sits around that Norman Rockwell picture where everybody sits around the Thanksgiving table, all the families there and they're all smiling and they want to be there. Uh, and what happens is really when all the family gets together, we realize all under all the stirrings underneath and it becomes more real and you know we lose, we lose hope. Uh, it hurts us because it's not what we wanted, and and I think guilt comes into that too. We think, you know, what did I do? What didn't I do? And so all of that. But we just we have that glitter look of Christmas and Thanksgiving, and it's supposed to be this. And again, it's it's not that. That's not real life. It's a both and. We have both of you know the the joys. There's there is room around the Thanksgiving table, for both tears, and smiles. A um, couple things that I've put out on my website and um, Facebook is about having remembrance things here at Thanksgiving, being able to maybe have a pumpkin where we write down memories or lessons learned from that person that's not at our table this year. Um, having a remembering jar where we put, in, you know, memories in that. And then sometime throughout the day, just pick them up and, you know, just like at a funeral, people will, will have tears, but oftentimes when the family gets together, when we remember that person that has passed on their smiles and then be, oh, remember when they did that? He was so crazy when he was, you know, we have laughter as well. And laughter is part of the grief journey. We need that laughter. We cannot be in that intense grief all the time. We have to have a little bit of a break, and and community helps us to do that. Um, But it's just it's our society is is not helpful, and the church is not helpful in a lot of ways, too. Um, I just found this article. I was given to it um, from a sermon this week at our church, and it talks about the church as a public companion in grief. And um, it's really interesting. It talks a lot about anger and grief and how that the anger is up here. And, you know, we'd rather be angry at something and win it back than we would be to grieve it and let it go. And letting go is hard. Um, And and that forgiving of the person or the situation is such a, a spiritual principle But boy, it's hard to do. And I think some of the reasons that it's hard to do is because we have a wrong expectation of what forgiveness is. It talks, you know, forgiving, we're taught forgive and forget. (laughs) Well, listen, if somebody's toxic for you or abusive, you don't want to forget that.
0: There's a valuable lesson in remembering that it preserves you.
1: Yes. Another um, forgiveness misconcept is that when I forgive I'm saying it's not important, that's not true. I can forgive and it's still very important. Or if I forgive, then they'll say, I agree with it. I just minimize it, it's not that big of a deal. No, forgiveness is for me. It's not for the other person. Forgiveness does not even have to be spoken to the other person. Forgiveness does not need someone to say they're sorry before I forgive them. I forgive them because when I don't forgive, I am just connected to that person and that hurt over and over and over again. It's kind of like that illustration. If you have your rat in, a, in your house and you go out and you get the rat poisoning and you eat the rat poisoning, hoping that the person or the rat will die. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of times people that have hurt us don't even realize it or they don't care. But I'm the one that's suffering. And I I'm killing myself within because I am being um, I'm being unforgiving. And forgiveness takes a long time. The the more that we're hurt, the harder for me it was. Um, I had to pray. God help me to want to want to forgive because I know I was supposed to, but my forgiveness was a, a good defense because I was I was angry and so you did this and you did this and so I'm not going to forgive you and so it was a wall that kept me from really feeling more hurt. Um, but when I forgave, I can I left go so that I could be free from the pain and find that the life that God wanted me to live. And, you know, I tell people, like I said earlier, that my divorce is the worst thing and the best thing that happened. Um, This is not the end of this. This is not the way I wanted my story to end. I mean, I love my life and I love what what I do and how God is using me. But this is not the way I wanted it to end. I'd rather be on your show saying, yeah, marriages can be hard, and but if you work at them really hard, they'll all come back together and it's Cinderella and they lived happily ever after.
2: Well, and I think that's that. Uh, almost, we, we try to... Romanticize the idea that well, if you just pray hard enough, and a lot of times movies will present it this way. uh, Well, if you just pray hard enough, and God can heal anything, and I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay what God can and can't do, but God has also given us choice, (laughs) and 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 oftentimes uh, there are things that are not going to be able to be restored, uh, at least on this earth as humans, because we are fallen, broken individuals, and. There just just be, as you pointed out, just because you pray, just because you you work a little bit harder. And, you know, I can relate so much because um, during counseling, I remember um, after our first session um, with uh, with with my first marriage, the after my ex-wife walked. And we were still married at this point, but she left and the counselor said, well, Kevin, I want to talk to you by yourself for a few minutes. And uh, at that point, we had already been separated because she said she wanted just some time for herself. Um, So the elders told me that I needed to move out, get an apartment to, to pretty much do whatever she wants at this point in time. And so the uh, counselor, he said, um, he said, she, she doesn't care about your, this relationship. And this is, this is not gonna, this is, this is gonna be over soon. It already is over. And I said, no, you know, I'm just going to, if I can just work a little bit harder, if I can pray, if I can do this, you know, and I, and I really got offended at him because I was like, well, you're, you're saying God can't heal this marriage. And, and, uh, you know, I, I just remember our conversation about that and how passionate I was because he was just trying to be very honest with me. He said, look, after this one counseling session, I just am going to tell you, I just want to be completely honest with where things are at. So you can have this expectation. And I actually took a, I had a notebook. And any time that I would do something that I thought made her happy or made her, made her upset, I would like mark it. So I would either avoid it or I would try to do more of it. And I realized there was really no pattern. I was just trying to figure this out. And, and uh, I told him about that the next time I went back and he said, you're literally going to kill yourself. Um, he said, you're, you know, you're, you're not going to actually kill yourself, he said, but you're going to drive yourself insane and crazy because you think that this, this is something that you can just change a couple of things and everything's going to be okay. He said, that's not the situation. He said, and the reason you want to do that is because you want the control and you feel like, well, if it's on you, you can make, you can make the everything okay. And it seems like that's the way it is in so many different relationships. Um, Not just talking about marriage, marital relationships, but sometimes even work relationships, sometimes even friendships. Brandon, as I already mentioned him, the one who came on our show last week and, you know, he was thinking, well, if I can do this or if I can do that, but it didn't change anything. And I think that those expectations going, you know, just having those expectations and those understandings of what we can and can't control, because, you know, I want to fix things. I'm a fixer. What what can I, what am I doing? What can I do better? You know, and, and when you realize that sometimes it's, it's not just, it's, it's not up to you. Um, And there are even things with loss, looking back that death and these other types of things, you do wonder, well, what could we have done better? Um, you know, my sister, she, she, when, when she died in her car, in the car wreck, her tire blew. Mm-hmm. And my dad still talks about, well, if he had to check the tires that might, I mean, you know, it's still kind of this Well, it was really my fault. You know, I thought I just had, I, I really could have had the control to change things and, and you know, that, that will, that'll kill you inside.
1: It will. And like you said, um, it takes two people in a relationship. It's like, if you have a tight wire, you got two poles and, both poles have to be pulling equally or almost equally for that tight wire to stay tight. If one falls down and the other pulls just as hard as they can, it will never be tight. And I had to go through that same kind of conversation, Kevin. And it's it's devastating and it's scary. And, and you wonder where God is and why doesn't he want a minister and his wife to get back together it's all those why questions that it can just run you into the ground and i know and and yet you know we we're taught the right scriptures we're we're given the words that you know Jesus said i will be with you god says i will be with you but somewhere in my translation and somewhere i think in the way that i was taught it was well, God's going to rescue you. And, and that, that word rescue is in there, but we, I, I thought it was going to rescue fr- from, you know, the really bad things like mm-hmm. divorce, cancer. You know, I wasn't perfect, but I, I was a checked all the box kind of girl and it still fell apart. You know what I'm saying? And so where is God? And it's just, it's a trust journey. Uh, and it's, um, uh, looking at the big picture like i said this is not the story ending that i wanted and yet i feel like this is where i am called to be and so in that i can find joy and i and i have lots of i'm probably better loved now than i've ever been Mm -hmm. um but boy when in a divorce and it seems like we're talking a lot about divorce right now um but it and it happens so it 51% 51% of marriages end in divorce and 72%, 74% of second marriages end in divorce. Wow! Um, and that's another thing with grief recovery. We we've got to grieve uh, instead of replacing the loss. Yeah. Um, but to, to realize that God has a bigger picture and that, you know, to, to find joy, you can live after loss, you can live after loss.
0: Well, one of the things that you had said earlier and you've alluded to it and you've mentioned it in passing a few times is how you have gone through the process and you have gone through the recovery method and how you, you know, even whenever grief rears its ugly head and you're reminded of that loss and you experience that sadness, you're able to go through that process how does one go about beginning that journey to recover from it? What is the grief recovery method? And one of the things I noticed on your website is that this is a proven evidence-based program, this grief recovery method that you are certified in and that you specialize in. It's something that is peer reviewed. It's something that is evidence-based. It's something that is incredibly effective that works really, really well. Would you mind spending a few minutes discussing that and why it's so effective, how it works so well, what it is, and what one can begin to do to start that recovery journey and that process?
1: I would be glad to do that. And um, the first thing is the goal of grief recovery is not closure. Now, let me say that again. The goal of grief recovery is not closure. And just think about that a minute, go back to that whale. Of course, she was grieving her baby. If you lost a child, and Kevin, you lost your sister to a car accident, you do not want to forget her. But our society teaches us, put it in a nice little box and put it back there and you just don't think about it anymore. It's impossible to find closure because grief is in our hearts. Mm -hmm it's in it's an emotional it's not intellectual and so grief recovery is about completion completion to the pain that's tied to it which goes back to what grief looks like it's the resentments that i have about that relationship it's the regrets i have like you were mentioning your dad why didn't i check those tires if i would have just done the, all those what ifs you know it that's Grief is undelivered communication, and sometimes we don't even know what we need to say, but that's what's causing us the pain. So completion, um, grief recovery has like 10 different actions. I've got the book here. There's a book to read. There are actions in it. Um, I almost always hesitate to say there's a book because people will go out and say, oh, I'll just get the book and I'll read it grief needs a witness to my 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 speaking it needs a listener we can't just do this on our own we need someone to listen it's that um parker palmer talks about it's the acknowledgement that is what heals us that you heard what i said that you realized to me that this was important and it hurt me and you're not trying to change my mind or fix me. When I can share that, then the the pain of that can dissipate. Um, it, I may need to say it many times, but the more I can speak, like I didn't tell anybody for 46 years that I was sexually abused. I was too ashamed. I learned that from my mom and dad because they didn't talk about it. And so that sick is your secret was within me. Now, when we can speak this out, then the power of that pain will dissipate. So grief recovery gives us these action steps to be able to process what we want to say. What, what completion, what do I need to complete? What do I wish were different? What do I wish were better And what do I wish were more? And so many times we don't even know that within ourselves. So it helps us to take responsibility for my part of it, which really gives me hope. It really is a place of control. When I take responsibility instead of blaming somebody else, I really have the freedom to do the work. If I'm waiting for somebody else to say, yeah, now yeah, you can do the work, or I made a mistake and that frees me up. You know, we use this language of, well, the devil made me do it, or my mom did. You know, because my mom did it, it was her fault. You know, we blame everybody else, but we have to take some of the blame. Not we don't take blame for the the loss. We take blame for or responsibility. Let me change that word. Um, we take responsibility for the way I am stuck. So I was stuck in being the victim. Okay, he did that. He did that. He did that. So I played that victim card and, and I was victimized. I had to change the word because when I called myself a victim, it was like, you know, I felt like I was the doormat. (laughs) Yeah. But when I changed that to be victimized, I did the both. And I honored that something was done to me that was wrong. And I can be, go above that. I can do different. It's the same concept of mothers against drunk drivers. You know, our anger can be a fuel to do good or it can be fuel to damage. So when we talk about completion, um, let me give you an example, I think that will tell, um, explain it more. I had a mother come, come in and she had lost her six week old baby son. Oh, wow. She came in. She just looked a mess. I mean, her face was drawn. Her color was bad. She was just sloppily dressed and she just slumped in her chair. And again, that's why you can't find closure. And she didn't, but that's what she was looking and find out, I mean, she looked like the funeral was yesterday, but she had been for four years trying to find closure. And she says, I can't do it. And so she took the grief recovery and it was hard for her. Um, Grief recovery is hard. And it's kind of like a Tootsie Roll Pop. It's hard on the outside. But as you get into the middle, it gets soft and chewy, and there's good things there. But it's hard, and I want to be honest with people. So she started, you know, she was there every week. Though sometimes she would come to the door, and then I'd see her turn around and go back and get in the car. But she always came back in. She never missed a session. And about halfway through, I started noticing that her coloring of her skin got better you know brighter and she started to comb her hair and 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 then finally on that last week after she'd done all this work of finding where her pain was what she was upset about where she was had regrets where she had resentments where she could forgive where she could where she wanted to say just one more thing to her son to her baby boy that had died she stood up and she put her hands on her hips like wonder woman and she said, "I am done with that pain." Okay, she was bored in there because <laughs> she was, mad, you know, get mad at the, at at the pain that comes. Um, and so she went through this completion process. She said, "What I wish were different. I wish my son had never been diagnosed with this rare disease. It, it was just something with numbers and letters. So what she wanted different is no diagnosis at all." what i wish were better i wish that there were some kind of clinical trials so that we could i could be holding my son and we could be going to these trials and i'd have hope that there would be something that would cure him and then well i wish were more these are the things that where the holidays come in this is she said i wish that i could have seen him grow up and put on a little backpack and have a little lunch pail and go to kindergarten for the first time I wish I could have seen him. She lived in my neighborhood, and there's a pool where I take my grandkids, and they have a high dive, and I've got videos of all of my grandkids jumping off that high dive. And she said, I wish I could have taught him how to jump off that high dive at Inskip Pool. I wish I could have seen him go to high school and be in the band or on the academic team or or the football team, you know, to get married that's why it's all those things that come afterwards that we're robbed of. All of those individually are losses too. But when we can share that with someone else, when we can take responsibility where I'm stuck, to be honest about uh, looking at the person or the situation you know, we do a lot of things of of, of digging down deep, and so I, w- I can even tell you, you know, when I first got divorced, I had a hundred things that were I hated divorce, and and you can um, I use grief recovery on um, things like divorce or the loss of uh, cancer, you know, any of those things on a job. So I had all these negative things about uh, my divorce, and now I can also balance it out and say, you know. Had it not been for my divorce, I would have never found a wider spirituality, a deeper, greater God than what I had in my narrow little tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. I would have never been able to be a grief recovery uh, specialist. I would have never been here to meet the two of you. I would have never been able to be to sit with people. You know, oftentimes in an introduction, I'll tell, I'll introduce myself. Well, I'm a recovering Pharisee because I'm so <laughs> judgmental, so judgmental.
0: Yep, uh, yep. Oh, yeah.
1: But when when I was the one that was being judged, and and the consequences of other people making choices fall on the the innocent, or I'm, I don't want to say that because I'm not totally innocent. I have my part in the divorce, okay? But other people, like drunk drivers, when somebody chooses to get drunk and drive, then the – the person who is killed that hasn't been drinking suffers the consequence and so does their family. So in that we can, we are all in that pot. We're all, we all need compassion. And and Kevin, I don't think people mean to say the wrong thing or be hurtful because um, I used to say those same things. That's why I I have compassion. But I know when I, was shoved over to the margin and was the outcast. I realized how much it hurts and how much when we're grieving, we need to be in community. I, I need the church when I'm not a cookie cutter and all cleaned up. I need the church when I'm dirty and messy and I can't figure out how to even get out of bed. I need the church then. And that's when God comes and he is there. He is always there. He's not always there at the time I want him, nor is he always there in the way that I want him. And I know he's always there. I trust that. I trust.
0: Well, I tell you what, this whole thread kind of hit me right in the field. so Kevin, I'm just going to kind of let you uh go ahead and keep this conversation going. I need to need a little break to recover from that entire thread. That was powerful. That was beautiful, sister. You I'm I'm not moved in that way very often, but you moved me tonight. That was that was an incredible description of how effective this method can be. So, Kevin, you you take it away, man.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I um, just listening to you speak, and and I love your honesty and your vulnerability, and that's something that is sorely missing right now among especially Christians, I believe, um, where church should be the one place and your Christian community should be the one place where you can be honest where you can be vulnerable, where you can talk about what you're really going through and not just give these superficial answers of, well, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. When inside you're, you're falling apart. You're, you're not doing great. You're doing horrible. Mm -hmm. And to be able to just express that and to to have those open and honest conversations with people who will be there to support you and just listen, just, just someone who's going to listen and be that listening. I have so many good friends where, which I like to talk anyway, Uh, Lee and I both are very verbose. And so that's why we started our podcast. Uh, (laughs) But it's one of those things where, sometimes I would just get done talking to someone after an hour and about anything. Um, you know, when I resigned from my position where I was at, when I started changing some of my personal convictions and realized that I needed to step down of where I was at, I wasn't coerced or forced or anything like that. It was just a personal decision, but I I needed to talk to several people, um, just just to be able to have that conversation. And usually they didn't say a whole lot, but they just listened. And by the time I was done, i like, well, hey, thank you for all the great advice. And they're like, well, I didn't really say anything. But just, just ha- knowing that someone cares, knowing that someone's not just going to brush you off or minimize or even dismiss what you're going through. And I really, uh, Joy, just appreciate your point, too, about how you can look back and, on all of these different things and you can, you can see the good, you can, you can be thankful for where it has brought you and what, where we wouldn't be had we not gone through some of the things that we went through. Um, You know, I've specifically, I, I think the two big, just, you know, what I would call one-off tragedies that have happened have been the death of my sister and and my divorce. But, you know, I look back and especially with the death of my sister, because me and my mom and dad are super close and we always were. Um, Of course, you know, my sister died when I was only 13, but just, I I don't know what, how, how things would be. I I don't know what the difference would be, but I'll tell you that that brought us closer together. And uh, to this day, I mean, I talk to my mom and dad almost every day. Um, I literally talk to them sometimes twice a day uh, on the phone. We're just very close. And I'm thankful for that relationship because we, we did allow that to bring us together, not tear us apart, to make us stronger as a family unit. And, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for that in the perspective and, and even just the brevity of life and, and realizing that I need to be thankful for every day that I have without trying to minimize what I went through, but still being grateful for the lessons that I can learn. And the same thing with the divorce. I look at, you know, that humbled me a lot. That also caused me um, to, uh, to reevaluate a lot of things in my own life. And it's brought me to a, a phenomenal marriage, uh, who's who someone, Bethany, my wife today, who has helped me to have a much better understanding of God and patience and love and grace, which in return has allowed me to forgive, uh, those in my past and be more merciful and graceful. And, and then look at my own sins and realize, okay, well, I'm not perfect either. And, and yet I can be forgiving and graceful toward myself because that's who God is. And so all of those things just kind of allowed me to, you know, whether it was the death or the divorce, or even when I, when I resigned from the gospel of Christ program, just having more empathy and sympathy and understanding and patience with others and myself and being thankful for that and looking and realizing, had I not gone through those things, I wouldn't be, where I'm at today. I mean, there's a lot of times I, I wish things would have been different and, and, you know, things could have happened in different ways, a lot of different things. And you think if I had a time machine, what I would go back and do differently, but yet you wouldn't, you wouldn't be where you're at today. And I think being able to focus on accepting the reality, not denying the, you know, of course, not denying what's happened, but accepting that, but then also being able to still find the good in it is, is a very powerful thing. But you know, we're, we're kind of nearing the end of our discussion, and I just wanted to ask you, what word of hope would you speak to someone right now who's listening? And they may be dealing with grief and loss, and they feel that there's no way out. You know, maybe they have just lost a loved one, and this is going to be their first Thanksgiving. Uh, without their mother or their father or their child or their brother or sister, or cousin or friend or maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they just lost their job, maybe they just lost their child. maybe um, maybe they had a miscarriage. I mean there, there's so many different things that that people are going through right now. And if they're listening to this podcast and they need hope, they need, they just need to hear something positive right now. What would you say to them?
1: I would say that hope is real that hope has two daughters, uh, according to St. Augustine, two beautiful daughters. One is anger and one is courage. The anger at the way things were and the courage to make it different and better. And so hope comes one step at a time. And like you said, there are a lot of good things that come out out of death and grief and loss and not to minimize the loss and the pain that we feel, but that our life can be better in many different ways. And it, it also makes me much more aware of how precious the relationship relationships that I have, and making sure that I'm saying the things that I I would regret not saying if we weren't together. Offering forgiveness apologizing for the things that i have done saying those significant statements to those people and in doing that we deepen and better our relationships now so our life can be full again it's just different it is different and um, i know that we've talked the, the title was grief during the holidays and i'm Think that we've talked more about what grief is instead of the holidays and so let me just kind of summarize real quick if i can have maybe five minutes here for please
0: do take all the time you like
1: uh, this could be a whole nother thing but i'll make it sh- short because people need to have a plan for the holidays it, we get blindsided and then we just we've lost we're We're um, we've lost it at the beginning and there's no way of recapturing it. So to make a plan and to look at the things that you've normally done in your uh, holiday traditions, which ones do you really want to keep? And realize that it's okay to say no to some of the ones that you don't. Um, you need to say no. We need to have some boundaries here so that we can say no to the things that drain us so that we can have the energy to participate in the things that are really precious and important to us. So saying no is a good part of your holiday plan. If you want to do traditions, you can ask um, someone to help you. And it's okay not to do the traditions that you've done in the past or to do them differently. Um, some of the ways that we need to do for the holidays is be sure that we, we know who the safe people are. Now, Kevin, you talked a little bit about um, being listened to when that person said nothing to you. Um, the worst thing that you can say um, to someone who is grieving is nothing. Because when we avoid them, we make them feel like an outcast. So if you can find safe people that you can say whatever you need to say and they don't judge you, they don't try to fix you, but they just say, I'm here for you. Um, And people who don't say, well, I know just how you're feeling because nobody knows just how you're feeling. Everything, everybody is different. So during the holidays, making sure that you're talking to people, that you're calling them. You know, we feel like it's happened to us. They ought to call us and I'm inviting us as the griever, that we make sure that we're calling other people, that we are taking good care of ourselves. And that means get as much rest as we can, stay away from the alcohol um, and the drugs that sometimes go along with this holiday, uh, because those are not helpful for us. Being able to eat healthy, being able to take some time to find mindfulness practices or meditation practices to help us find that calmness, to get us grounded, to be centered. And then... You, you, do you use that, Lee, in your practices?
0: Uh, Somewhat, somewhat. Not, not quite to the degree that you do, but if it appears as though there's an emotional or mental component or mental health component to what they have going on, I take care of several counselors and therapists in my office and I'll send them to one who may be best qualified to help. But in general, yes, those are things that can be very, very helpful. I'm tracking right there with you.
2: I've, I've, I started to do, uh, do meditation about a year and a half, two years ago. And I'm going to tell you, it is phenomenal. It it has helped me so much with just really, I I was using it, um, started using a lot of it with, um, with my weight. And uh, when I was losing weight and what I was eating and just trying to be more mindful and, um, making sure that I'm staying on track with that. And now I just, I use meditation and mindful practices for so many different things and, I'm on I have my calm app, uh, which is very popular now. Yeah. And uh, so I've I try to do that just about every day and try to make that time. And then also just um, being able to you're talking about prayer and how sometimes we view prayer as a very ritualistic aspect of Christianity, where it's a spiritual discipline where you just need to pray and just talk and uh, you didn't put it in these these terms but this is the way i was taught you just kind of almost just do it <laughs> uh, you just go through the motion and you do it and um content being contemplative with it and being able to just have really conversations with jesus and uh, i really in my meditation oftentimes will will bring god into the the conversation and it's just very powerful it's it creates a lot of awareness and space and by the time i'm done i can usually see things a, a lot clearer and if i had been worrying about something or stressing it's like well hmm, everything's okay now because i've i've I see it from uh I've, I've allowed myself some space and mindfulness to understand so i, I want to say personally that that is such a i think that's a overlooked practice especially in many Christian circles today, sometimes it's even mocked and discouraged, which is, is very disheartening to me after being able to use it. And I realized how effective it is.
1: Um, I learned, I knew all of, the, and not all, I knew a lot of the scripture verses um, about meditation, but I really never was taught about medit- how, to, how to meditate. And I've really first learned through my cancer um, by learning some mindfulness practices, breath work, And that took me then into uh, doing more meditation. And I learned that uh, praying is a conversation, right? And in conversation, it is speaking and it is listening. And before my divorce, my prayer was me always speaking. (laughs) And now I'm trying to listen more. Um, I've heard that uh, the language of God is silence so that if we can just be quiet that we can hear and things will come to us.
2: Well, it's, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: So just to find ways to to find that silence and the breath work helps me a lot to do that. Um, grounding exercises to be able to be in this present moment so that um, I can just enjoy what's here and not miss what's here. And that's part of the holidays. I know that who is Who or what that you loved is not with you this holiday if you're struggling with grief. And there are a lot of people around you that do love you. And to be grateful for that and not to negate the other, but don't miss what we do have because we're so focused on what we've lost.
2: Well, I was just going to say, when, when you were talking about uh, prayer being a conversation, I, I just think about Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about prayer. In verse 5, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. And they, they love to stand and pray in the public places and in the synagogue so that they can be seen, that they can be heard. Um, it, but Jesus contrasts that and says, instead, you go into your room, you go into your closet, shut the door, and and you know pray to your father who is in secret. This this you know have this personal, very personal, private conversation uh, with God. And I do believe Christianity is definitely a communal and community based, but. We don't need to forget while trying trying not to be too individualistic with our Christianity. We also need to realize that there is some individualism that, of course, is part of our Christianity. That's what makes up a collective faith is individual faith. And so, just being able to to really go into a private place and and be purposeful, be very in, have intent behind what we're doing is a very powerful thing.
1: For sure, and, and the intent too with our, the holidays to make an intention to include if we want. You, you know, everybody has to make. You have to honor yourself during the holidays of what you need, um, and take good care of yourself. And so, if you want to include the um, remembering your loved one, there are many ways to do that. Um, there's, uh, and I, let me just give you a couple examples here: um, to light a candle in their honor. Um, you could do that. You could leave a place at the table that's set for them. You could fix their favorite food and, and make that part of the dinner, and people would remember, oh, that's Granny's favorite dish, or she used to make that. Um, you could uh, make uh, go to the cemetery if you wanted to do that. You could. I found um, one one young lady who lost her brother gave me two of the neatest things. Um, on the birthday of her brother, she would go out to eat, and she would tip the waitress however old her brother would have been that year. And I thought that's a wonderful way to. That's
0: really cool, yeah.
1: Isn't that? Um, and so we, we can come up with ways that the our loved ones are not forgotten. And then on his death anniversary, she knew. That he would want her to be taking care of herself. So she would go get a massage and treat herself to that. And these similar things we can do during the holidays. Um, we can, you know, if we've lost a child or if we know that um, an adult would love to give to a child, we can get gifts and give those to other people that are less fortunate. So there are many ways to do, um, to be remembering. You can make an ornament. I usually, when I do workshops, have an ornament that people can um, put it together as a remembrance to their, their loved one, and we don't want to not talk about them, um, and not to talk about them in the past tense. They're in our hearts. Their name is, I all, and it, there's small things like that, I think, when we're talking to people that are grieving that um, negate their losses. Uh, it's like your child was, your sister was, and you know, she still, she is in your heart. She is; her essence is still there. And so, to honor that,
0: I think that's fantastic. I think this has been a wonderful conversation. And I was telling Kevin, we in our little drive where we have our show notes and our outline that we had for this program, we've chatted a little bit back and forth. And I told Kevin, man, I think this may end up being one of our best episodes, especially in terms of the help that it can provide for people, because I know this is something that everyone in struggles with at some point in their lives and just your willingness to come on this program and to have this conversation with us is an immense honor we appreciate you tremendously and we are so thankful that you have been willing to share your time with us to come on and to have this conversation and as we wrap up this conversation we always give our guests an opportunity to promote excuse me whatever it is that they would like to promote whether it's your website, books that you've written, podcasts you've been on, interviews you've had, whatever the case may be, this is your moment to share that with everybody. Where can people find more about your work? Where can people find you on the internet? What would you like to promote at this point as we bring our conversation tonight to a close?
1: Thank you for that opportunity. And it has been so good to be with the two of you. And Thank you for your interest and your good questions and and your, uh, your vulnerability in sharing your own stories. I appreciate that very much and would like to invite people um, in uh, the Knoxville area. I'm going to be doing an in-person unstuck using the grief recovery method on January the 11th, and it's there eight weeks, two hours each week. So it's very intense. It's 16 hours. It's large group teaching as well as small group uh, sharing, and so that format allows people to be to learn in all sorts of different ways. I will also be starting an online unstuck group on February the 24th. And I'm always open to what do one on one um, grief recovery work with anybody. And grief recovery also has a book uh, and a program that I teach, which is called helping children with loss. Now grief recovery is for people who are 18 and older, So this is for parents, teachers, Sunday school workers, anybody that has children, grannies and grandpas that have children in their life. And they learn a process of helping the child by modeling themselves. And um, that way we can help our children not get stuck in the things that we've gotten stuck in. So all of this, um, plus I'm doing several walking through the holidays with joy online and all of this is on my walkingwithjoy.com website, or you can find it on Facebook. And I, one thing that just sticks in my mind that um, I didn't say, I, I would, uh, a quote that grief recovery has used often that says, We are taught how to acquire things, but we're not taught how to let go of things. Mm-hmm. And we all have unresolved grief. If we go back to that list of what we've talked about, we all have some unresolved grief. And so, grief recovery can help you move past the pain of any of those losses death, divorce, job, retirement, any of those dreams that you've had. It can, you don't have to be in pain. You can, there is hope. There is hope.
0: Fantastic. Joy, thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate it tremendously. We appreciate your time. We appreciate the work you're doing and to our (laughs) listeners. If this is something that you have more interest in, you can find this information on Joy's website, walkingwithjoy.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. Joy, thank you once again from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of Kevin's heart. Yeah, I'll go ahead and speak for him, too. We're really thankful that you agreed to come on our program. And we know for a fact, I know for a fact this is going to be helpful to somebody. To our listeners, we thank all of you. We love all of you. We appreciate all of you. This podcast is growing and growing and growing, and we have big plans for 2022 to grow it even further. So thank you all for listening. Please share this podcast with your friends, share it on Facebook, share it with your enemies because they need Jesus too. And they need some help as well. We all do. Uh, Give us that five-star review on iTunes. And if you have any questions, any comments, anything at all, drop us a line. Our email address is in the show notes. It's always there. We would love to hear from you. And we look forward to speaking with you all once again. Have a good night.